Hey guys, I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative, a boutique brand and web design studio. I'm here to help you learn, up-level, and find community in your design business journey. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better the Brand Designer podcast. I have a bit of a cold today, so that is why my voice sounds so nasally, but I'm super excited to be hanging out with all of you today to talk about project management. Um, This is something that no one ever taught me. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about that as a specific skill. I just thought it was, you know, sending emails and getting on calls with clients. But over the course of the 5.25 years that I have been in business, I've noticed that it is a skill and it's a skill that you can fail at and it's a skill that you can succeed at. Um, And just like any other skill in your business, it's something that you can get better at too. So that's my point of, you know, kind of putting this outline together and recording this episode for you guys is that I want to share some of the mistakes that I made, some of the things that I've learned over the course of my business in terms of project managing projects to success. Um, And I really truly believe that the success of a project does have pretty much everything to do with the way that you manage it. Um, You could be the best designer in the world, but if you don't manage your project well, you don't manage your timeline, you don't manage your client's expectations, you don't manage your boundaries well, the client is going to end the project feeling not taken care of, not loving your process, and they're probably going to be unhappy with the work and you're going to feel burned out at the end of the day. So um, let's all avoid that together and learn more about project management. Before I get into the meat of today's episode, I did want to let you guys know that I have a brand new service for designers specifically. It's called the Brand Messaging and Copy Sprint for Designers. Um, if you are interested in learning more, you can sign up for the waitlist on my Instagram at Hello June Creative. You can just click the link in my bio and then click on the um, waitlist for that service. Basically, I put this together because I was having such a fun time kind of writing out and helping my students in the design mini mind explore their positioning and get really, really specific in their messaging about who they're serving, what makes them unique, etc. Over the course of the past few years, I've gotten really, really specific about who it is that I serve, what it is that I do, and what makes me unique in my market. And I have clients constantly inquiring, telling me that my positioning statement and my tagline and the copy on my website is one of the biggest reasons why they decided to reach out to me specifically versus other studios. Um, And since I've been doing copywriting for my company and for my clients for the past few years as well, I felt like I wanted to kind of open up this service to brand designers who might be feeling a little bit lost in the sauce when it comes to their positioning or what makes them unique. Maybe they're experiencing just lower inquiries or clients going with other designers or just really not feeling like they know what to market or what to talk about in their marketing. A lot of that does come back to really strong positioning and messaging, which then of course grows into website copy. And so the reason that I'm calling this a sprint is that I'm going to do it in a single day. I think there's a lot of, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great copywriters out there who can, you know, take a call with you and do a questionnaire and write incredible copy. I've worked with them in the past. They're awesome. Um, But their projects do tend to take 
quite a while and cost quite a lot. Um, I was talking with a couple of designer friends of mine and they were saying, man, like I talked to this copywriter and she'll do my website copy, but it's going to be $6,000. And, you know, I'm fully in support of copywriters charging what they're worth. I think 6K is a great price point, but for a lot of designers, it just doesn't make sense for their cash flow levels and what they're willing or what they hope to invest. And so I wanted to get the price point really to a place that felt good for me that felt good for my designer clients. Um, and I'm doing a couple of beta offers right now with some designer friends um, and just kind of testing things out. So if you guys are curious about getting your brand messaging professionally written, meaning like your positioning statement, your mission statement, your vision statement, your tagline, your brand voice and tone, as well as your homepage copy written professionally, not only by a professional copywriter, but by a designer who's been doing what you guys are doing for five years, then you might want to work with me on a brand messaging and copy sprint. So like I said, go check out Hello June Creative on Instagram. You can click the link in my bio and get on the wait list there. Um, and if you have any questions at all about that sprint, um, I am developing a uh, sales page that has all the details. But if you're, you can't wait and you want to book into my schedule um, sooner rather than later, shoot me a DM, ask me any questions you want. I love having voice note conversations with designers and clients um, alike on Instagram. So let's open up that conversation. I am going to be taking on a limited number of designers for this service. Um, probably no more than a handful per month, even though it is like a single day sprint. Um, I want to make sure that I am giving everyone my full and complete attention and I have the time to support my mini minders and support my clients as well. Um, so yeah, if you're curious, I would love to talk with you more about what getting your copy done with me could look like. Okay, let's talk project management. This episode is going to be kind of outlined in a list of my best project management tips. And it's just going to be a chatty episode kind of about my project management journey in Hello June and what I would do differently in the future and what my best tips are um, based off of past failures and um, past wins. So in no particular order, I'm just going to kind of go through my brain dump on running a successful project um, from a project management perspective. Um, okay, so my top project management tip, if you don't take anything else away from this episode, remember this, get organized early. Even if you don't have a team, it is so, so important for you to be clearly defining what the timeline is for your project, what the client can expect from the different phases, how long it's gonna take you to work on each particular phase, as well as when the client can expect certain deliverables to come their way. When I first started out as a designer, I didn't do this at all. I just signed the client on. I was like, yeah, it'll probably take, you know, four to eight weeks. But then I didn't have really any internal due dates. The client didn't really know when to expect things. And I was starting to get kind of panicky emails from clients saying like, hey, um, when can I expect, you know, XYZ deliverable, which would make me feel really stressed out. Like, oh no, they're, they're waiting on me. And then I would always feel like the client was hoping I would email something to them that day when I didn't have anything ready for them. And it was just so stressful. I feel like on both my and the client's parts. And 
I don't know why I approach things in this way. I just feel like, oh, it's the creative process. Like I need to give myself space. And yes, to a certain extent, it is creative. But at the same time, you are providing a service that your clients are paying you probably a significant amount of money for. And I think that one of the greatest ways to provide a luxury client experience is to manage your project really well, make the client feel like you are in the driver's seat because you are, and that you know exactly when things are gonna get done, when they're gonna see things, when their feedback is expected, when their assets are expected. You know, we've all done the client runaround with asking our clients for their website copy or their website assets. Um, Clearly defining when all of that is due from the very, very beginning of the project before you even, like, like within the proposal before you even sign the client on, that has been how I have found the most success in establishing a really, really high quality project management atmosphere within my studio. So yes, define your timelines, stick to them when possible, and then communicate with your client if you need to change something. Um, I actually provide a very detailed timeline in my client portal in Notion. You guys know that I love using Notion as my kind of back-end um, company setup, and I do a client-facing client portal within Notion. That's the only client-facing part of Notion that I have, but I do have a master project calendar that is an inline database in Notion that has every single project, every single due date, every single phase when it's going to be due, every single client feedback due date, so that I can look at my master project calendar at a glance over the next you know couple weeks and determine what's due to clients, what are what do clients have to turn into us so that we can remind them. I think that's another really important part of successful project management is reminding your clients when things are due and guiding them to be able to help you, kind of like a help me help you type of situation. When a client misses a call or doesn't submit their questionnaire on time, I always look and see, were they reminded with enough time in advance? Did I give them enough time to fill it out without feeling rushed? Um, So the first thing I'm looking at is myself, is did I set them up for success from the get-go? There's a lot of ways you can automate this. HoneyBook has some great automations and stuff like that. Um, But that timeline in that client portal is kind of the gold standard for the way that our studio functions and what I assign my team to and what I, when I look at, you know, over the next few weeks, what's going to be due to clients, how I prioritize my tasks. So that way I'm spending time on the things that are the highest priority with the closest due dates. And I'll talk a little bit more about task management and team assignments later on in this episode. My next tip is to really understand your ideal project cadence. So you book the exact number of projects that feels good for you and you don't under or over book yourself. Um, What I mean by ideal project cadence, which can sound a little buzz phrasy, is just the ideal number of projects that you want to be working on at one time and the type of projects that you want to be working on at once. A lot of different things go into project cadence, like how many different projects of the same type are you starting? Um, You know, I think some designers prefer not to be doing multiple different brand strategies or multiple different website launches at the same time. At Hello June, we try to not do projects that have exact similar delivery dates or start dates because then it ends up us just being in the same 
mindset of like, okay, we're doing a ton of brand strategies right now. And then we get just burned out on brand strategy ideation. Or if we're doing launches, like I really try not to launch more than one website per week if possible. They do tend to stack up sometimes before I go on vacation. And that's just always when I find just this chaotic, like panicky feeling of, oh my goodness, I can't believe there's all of these different like technical aspects and domains and emails to the client and, you know, last minute changes that like end up feeling very, um, very chaotic at the end of a project. So we do try to stagger our, our start dates out. Um, but you know, the ideal project cadence for Hello June is typically, I would say two to three brands going at the same time, maybe two to three websites going at the same time. Any more than that is, is it a little bit more than what we want to manage? And then of course I, I add in VIP days that I handle. I don't outsource those to any team members. Um, and that does, you know, take care of our ideal revenue months. Um, and we found that we have a pretty consistent average ideal revenue going over the past year, year and a half. Um, and getting really well acquainted with my ideal project cadence has been extremely helpful in not only generating the type of revenue that I want to be doing, but also protecting myself from overbooking and protecting my team from being just slammed with the same type of project all at once. I will say that some designers do like to stack the same type of project at the same time. Like they like to do all brand strategies one month and then all brand concepts one month. Um, and so your brain might work like that. You might like to be just kind of in the brand strategy zone and then just do knock out a ton of brand strategies. But for me and, and Lauren, you know, specifically, we, we like to kind of jump around to different types of like brain power, if that makes sense. And I've found that a lot of my designer friends that I've talked to prefer that as well. Um, we actually just finished doing an exercise in the mini mine, which is my one-to-one and small group program for designers, where we mapped out their ideal revenue, um, per month, the number of months they want to be working in the year, their, um, offer suite pricing. So what their different packages, or if they don't have packages, what their typical offers are priced at, um, and then their ideal project cadence. And that determined, um, whether their current pricing supported their goal income. And if the number of projects they're working on at a time supported the type of money that they wanted to be making in their lifestyle. So there's a lot of moving pieces to this and you're not going to hit the nail on the head the first time. Um, it's going to come with a lot of time and a lot of trial and error. Like I can't tell you guys the number of times that I have, at, at least recently in my career, overbooking is a bigger problem than underbooking. But in the first like three years or so, underbooking was like a really big problem just because I didn't have the type of lead generation cadence that I have going now. Um, but I've learned a lot even from last fall when we were really overrun with website launches right before the holidays because we were trying to take time off. Um, and I'm really doing a good job this year of mapping out my entire year and noticing what phase of each project we're going to be in during what month. I actually have a Notion calendar. Um, of course, I have a Notion um, template for this, a calendar that helps me see at a glance when I'm actually talking to a client on a sales call and they ask about my availability, I'm able to give them exactly when I'm available for a new start date. Um, and then that way I'm able to manage 
okay, is the client, am I going to lose the client if they have to start too late? Okay, in that case, that's something that I can hand off to Lauren or I can work with a subcontractor on to retain that revenue in my studio. So I do try to book clients out as far as they are willing to wait um, because that does help me kind of put my calendar together in a way that feels sustainable to us and maintain that ideal cadence, maintain that illusion, I would say, of consistent revenue because I always say there's nothing consistent about the way that clients inquire or book with you, but you can maintain that illusion by booking clients out in advance into the ideal cadence that you want to be working. So um, if this all feels extremely overwhelming, don't worry. Maybe try to just map out what your ideal cadence would look like. See if you can kind of tweak that over time, reevaluate at the end of every quarter, notice what felt really chaotic, notice where you felt like you had a little bit of extra time that you could have booked a new client in. And that will also help you determine how you want to be marketing your studio, you know, what spots you want to be talking about that are available if you do marketing like that, etc. Another thing that you can do when you are mapping out your ideal project cadence is um, tracking your time. And this is something that is super valuable that really scares the crap out of me because I don't, I find it very stressful to be working when there's a timer on, but I do use timers for productivity. I just don't really track my time on projects. That being said, I do feel like I have a good, at this point in my career, understanding of how long it takes me to do certain tasks and certain types of projects. Um, so if this is something that you want to explore and see, okay, well, I don't really know how many projects I can work on at a time. Track your time for a couple of different types of projects. Track your time for like a brand project. Track your time for a website project and see how long it takes you every single day and how long the whole project takes you. And then you can determine what the ideal project length would look like and then that can go into your ideal cadence. Okay, let's talk about client communication. This is the most important, I think, part of successfully managing your projects. Um, if you're not communicating with your clients accurately, you can have all of the coolest calendars set up on the back end and timelines and everything. But if they don't understand when to expect certain things or when they have action items that need to be completed, your timeline is going to be super out of whack and the client is going to be left in the dark wondering what's next with your project. And you never want your clients to be feeling that way. So this might be a hot take, but I don't use a project management tool for client communication. I have tried in the past. I've used Asana. Um, I have never really tried using Notion as a client communication tool because Notion can be actually a little glitchy when like there's third party people like commenting and stuff. Um, I have just always used email. Um, I started with email. I tried different PM tools and CRMs um, for client comm, but Email is just the easiest thing for my clients. It's the easiest thing for me. And I'm sure you're thinking, oh no, is your inbox insane all the time? The answer is not all the time. I do have meticulously organized email labels that automatically populate. Um, you can set up really cool filters in Gmail. You can have cute little um, color-coded um, labels for all of your client projects. I do this for the admin side of my company as well as the clients. And so whenever I get a client email, it automatically um, files it into a client specific folder. It stays in my main inbox so I can see when new things pop up, but I do archive emails rather than deleting them when I'm done with them. So if I want to go back and look and see what a client said about something, I can just go to that client's folder and it will have all of the email communication from that particular client. Whenever I have something due 
to a client, like I'm sending something for delivery, I do use canned emails from HoneyBook, which are really, really helpful. Um, anytime that there is a project milestone or anything like that, the client gets a canned email that has information about that milestone, where they can find the link, it's typically their client portal, how they can give feedback, what type of feedback is expected. A lot of that information is in the feedback document within the client portal as well. Um, and that has worked out great. My clients love that they get to stay in their inbox when they work with me. They're busy. The part of the reason why they hired me is that they are too busy to figure this out on their own. And being able to stay in their world and show up in a place that they're already checking every day, I found it's just one of the best ways to get clients to email you back really quickly. Um, I've had clients struggle with using Asana or using past CRM tools and not really understand how to use it or miss communication. And for me in my studio, Email works great for now. I can definitely see a world in which we're working with tons more clients and it does not make sense to use email anymore. But if you're a designer out there using email and feeling bad about it, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's okay. I do it too. Another really important client communication tip is to communicate early and often. I include a ton of information in my proposal um, packages. And I use HoneyBook and my proposals typically have a couple different options for clients. Within each individual option, I have detailed information about what is and is not included in the scope of the project. Um, and every single time I have a client misunderstand about whether copy is included with the web design, which it almost never is because it's a separate add-on, I include that bullet point in the not included list in my proposal. And so from the very get-go, clients are painfully aware of what is and is not included. I say painfully as a joke, but most clients really prefer to know, you know, what they're getting into, what they're getting before they sign on. And that has really, really helped eliminate really any confusion as far as what's in scope and what's not. And I even have clients, when they do bring up something that's out of scope, tell me, hey, I know this is not like included in our project, but can we add on X, Y, Z? I highly attribute that to the fact that I have so so much, there's so much over communication happening in the very, very beginning of my process, starting with the proposal. Another great way to communicate early and often is to set clear expectations for housekeeping items like communication, portal, timeline, feedback um, in the very first part of your kickoff call. I do two calls for every project. One of them is the brand um, the brand strategy workshop, in addition to the kickoff call, I do them combined. And then the next one is the web planning call. Um, and in the very, very first, like 10 minutes of that first kickoff call, we do like housekeeping stuff. We go over their portal. I ensure that they know how to find it and how to use it. I show them where their timeline is. So that way they know what to expect, when to expect it. And I really do they just get to sit back and enjoy the process. I don't have clients really emailing me asking for things or asking when something's going to come through because I've already provided all of that information to them and it makes them feel really safe and secure and like I know what I'm doing, which I do. Um, and so that's a, a great thing that I started doing at the beginning of those calls. I used to have a separate kickoff call and then a brand strategy workshop call, but it just ended up being too many calls and I knew that I could run through it super quick in the first 10 minutes of my kickoff call. At the end of every client call, I do a what's next five minute wrap up um, where I talk through what they can expect next, what the next deliverable they can expect, when they can expect that to arrive, 
what's expected of them in terms of feedback and when that's going to be due. Um, Believe it or not, when I first started designing, I felt bad about giving my clients feedback deadlines. I felt like, I was like, who am I to tell them when they should give feedback? And I understand that to a certain extent, but now I can't imagine doing a project or running a successful project without telling the client when I expect them to provide their feedback. And I would say probably about 75% of my clients do adhere to those feedback deadlines, much more than what people did before I even told them when I needed their feedback. They just, it went to the bottom of their priority list and then they just never gave me their feedback. Um, There's still going to be, you know, that 25% of clients that see the feedback deadline, forget about it, or they don't think that's that important and they just, it takes them forever to get feedback. I think it's just an important, it's just a normal part of being a brand designer. Um, but having that kind of what's next little section at the end of each call that we do really helps, again, the client feel like you are in the driver's seat, you know what's happening, they know what to expect, and that really eliminates those little check-in emails from the clients um, or any type of confusion or feeling in the dark that they might have. So what if you have a team? How do you successfully project manage both a client and manage the internal workings of your team? I'm going to start with a quote that I have said on the podcast before um, and that you guys are probably tired of hearing me talk about, but A Bug's Life is one of my favorite Pixar movies and Hopper is the like mean bad guy grasshopper in that movie. If you guys have never seen it, it's amazing. It's on Disney+. Plus. Um, in the very beginning of the movie, he is talking to the princess and about you know a failure that she had experienced and he said... First rule of leadership, everything is your fault. And that just stood out to me because I had never really, you know, before I had a team on my studio, I had never been in a leadership position when it came to my job. I was always like the intern or the junior designer when I worked in corporate. And we didn't even have like an intern under me, even when I was a junior designer. So I was really never in charge of anyone. I was bottom of the totem pole. And so I feel like my leadership skills really took some developing to get to the place where they're at now. And this rule, Hopper's first rule of leadership, that everything is your fault, has really stuck with me, not in a negative way or a way that I'm terrified or scared that my team is going to make a mistake and then I'll be blamed for it, but I approach managing my team and helping them find success with the understanding that I am on the hook for everything that my company does because I am the owner (laughs) and the manager um, and the one that's doing the project management. Um, And so that's honestly been really empowering for me because it helps me guide my team to success in the way that I that's going to make sense for me and for my client that also is going to be helpful and efficient for my team. So I find that just really motivating and hopefully you don't find it scary. You find it motivating too. Um, But here's a couple of things that I recommend if you have a team or you're thinking about hiring a team um, that I've learned over the past about two-ish years of having people working under me in in my business. I think it's really important for your team to have internal due dates and client due dates. If you assign something to your team member that's due to the client on a Thursday and they give it to you on a Thursday, 
and you want to review it and have them make changes, that leaves you less than a day to look at it, review it, submit feedback, have your team member look at it, implement the feedback, turn it back into you, you look at it, and then send it to the client. That is not enough time. Typically for us, we work pretty quickly, and so our internal due dates are typically about two days before the client due date. So if I need to turn something in on a client delivery day, which is always Thursday. Then Lauren turns something into me on Tuesday, either Tuesday or Wednesday. I'll get feedback back to her. And then that gives her Wednesday and Thursday um, to implement the feedback. And then I wrap it up and send it off to the client. Typically, I'm the one recording the, the Loom video or putting the email together, putting the finishing touches on something and then sending it off. Kind of like in the kitchen where the chef cooks something and then the person who's expediting kind of stands by the window and then like wipes the plate or like puts the garnish on and then brings it um and then the waiter comes and brings it out to the the table it's kind of like similar to the way that we do it um and so you want to make sure you're building in that buffer time for internal rounds of feedback um particularly if you have a newer team member that time frame has shortened because lauren she's like my second brain. We're so on the same page that rarely does she turn something into me and there's extensive feedback. Usually it's just little tweaks or new ideas that I have. Um, but when she did start working with me and she was learning the ropes, just like any new hire, you're going to want to have additional internal feedback time so that your subcontractor or your employee can work through things and you can manage things on the internal side before the client sees them. When you're assigning new tasks to team members, and this also can you know, apply to yourself, I would recommend giving your team members at least two weeks of tasks in advance and then sort them by priority and due date. This is another inline database moment in Notion for me. Um, we do our task management on a template that I call the Hello June Team Hub. And that has my to-do list, it has Lauren's to-do list, and it has our intern's to-do list. And there's a task, there's a priority, there's a task type, um, and then there's, of course, an internal due date and a client due date. So even though the, you know, the team member has to turn something in by the internal due date, they also see, okay, when is this going to be sent off to the client so that they can be making sure that they're doing their internal um, work in time for me to put those finishing touches and send it off to the client. I found that two weeks of tasks in advance within that um, to-do list, kind of a master to-do list, is helpful so that they not only can see what's due end of the current week, but then they can also see what they need to be preparing if there's a, a certain task that's going to take them longer than just a couple of days to complete. If there's really, really intense, like big tasks that are going to take weeks to complete, I also will put them in there so that they can see what those tasks are. And they also have access to the master project calendar so they can see exactly when everything is going to be due. They can also look at the client portal template and see, oh, for this specific client, when is this going to be due? Um, sorting by priority and due date automatically tells um, my team exactly what they should be focusing their time and energy on and in what order. So when they open up their task for the day or their task list for the day, they can see, okay, what's the thing that has the soonest due date that has the highest priority? And then work on that, knock that out, and then go in order of due date and priority. That's just been the best way that I found not only to manage my own tasks, but to manage um, and assign tasks to my team members. The last thing that I wanted to wrap up with in terms of tips to um, successfully manage your project is talking about if something goes wrong in the process. Um, we can plan all we want and we can have the cutest Notion templates all we want, but 
There are going to be times when a client gets confused or expects something that's out of scope or doesn't give you your feedback on time. Um, and I, I don't think that I've ever had a perfect project go by where there wasn't something that the client was confused about. And it's the way that you approach these types of, you know, HR style situations that can be a make or break deal as to whether or not the client ends the project feeling really good about working with you or leaves them with a bad taste in their mouth or leaves them even unhappy with the final, the final product. So if something goes wrong, tell the client immediately rather than waiting or waiting for them to find out about it. That's kind of a given, but you'd be surprised at the number of things that went wrong early in my career as a brand designer that I was so terrified to tell the client about that I had just hoped that they wouldn't notice or they wouldn't see that the timeline was all out of whack or whatever it was. And that just caused so much stress for myself that it just sucked. <laughs> and I would just be up at night worrying that the client was going to look at the timeline and they would realize that we were off timeline or whatever. Now, if we go out of, out of whack with a timeline or a client misses a due date, I immediately email them. I'm very kind about it. I say, hey, you know, just checking in. I wanted you to, you know, remember that your due, your, your feedback was due end of day Sunday. But if something came up, totally fine. Please just communicate that with me. I always have like a super open communication policy with all my clients and tell them, to tell me if they're going to be away on vacation. Actually, that's another tip. Ask your client at the beginning of your project when they're going on vacation because clients will not tell you and they will just disappear and you'll have no idea where they are. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> um, so I, I always recommend just telling your client if something's going wrong or if you are trying to launch something and you hit a roadblock or you hit a bug in the website and you were supposed to give them an update, tell them, hey, we actually hit a snag this is what we're doing to work on it. This is when you can expect another update. Um, that way, it, they'll just feel like you know what's going on, that you're working on something, even if there's a snag in the process or whatever. Um, and the next you know, part of this is if something is not your fault, do not apologize for it. This is a really big life lesson that I've learned in addition to business lesson you know, my, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And if you guys have been listening for a while, you know that that's something that I'm working on. I think a lot of, you know, type A women tend to be like that. Um, and I would notice that things would pop up that were not my fault, like a bug in a website or something that was completely out of our control. And I noticed myself like profusely apologizing to my clients for things that were not my fault or the client like didn't get back to me on time with feedback and that pushed the timeline out of whack and then I would apologize for it in email that shifts the power so much towards the client and makes them feel like you've done something wrong even when you haven't and so whenever something is not my fault I do not apologize for it and instead come up with solutions I don't blame the client I don't say oh well if you had just gotten your feedback on time then the timeline wouldn't be all out of whack but I just say you know we did hit some snags with some of the feedback life happens this is what we're going to do to resolve this and this is when you can expect an update very neutral very matter of fact not a lot of emotion in there if you do something that is your fault, like you misspell someone's name in their logo, I have done that before. It's super embarrassing. I am kind of scarred from it, but I hopefully will never do it again. Or if there is a bug that you didn't catch in the website and the website is now live or something like that, and it's something you should have caught. That happens to me all the time. We're human beings. It's technology. It's going to happen. 
instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, like making it a big emotional thing. That's how I used to handle things. Now, if something is my fault, in an email, I'll say my apologies or thank you so much for your patience. Here's what we're doing to rectify this issue. Here's when you can expect an update. Again, very neutral, very in control. And rather than saying, I'm so sorry, you're still apologizing by saying our apologies or my apologies or thank you for your patience. That just feels like a much more professional way to remove the emotion from something that can feel chaotic for the client and helps you maintain that level of power. Um, in the client relationship. Once the client has lost trust with you or feels like you don't know what you're doing or feels like you're not in control, that's when they start to have that chaotic energy. The emails start to come in, the panicky phone calls, the text messages, the Instagram DMs. And we want the client to feel like we have everything taken care of, even if you're still exploring different solutions. If you even don't have a solution to the problem, you can say, I don't have a solution quite yet, but I'm exploring solutions and I will update you on Friday end of day. Then they can just rest easy knowing that they're going to receive a communication from you and then actually follow up when you said you're going to. When you have done something wrong, admit that you're wrong, but don't be ashamed of it. Again, define what you're going to do to make it right and when the client can expect a solution. And then if the client is bringing really chaotic or emotional energy to a communication with you, like if they're freaking out or if they're getting elevated or even if they're getting angry, They will oftentimes feed off of your energy. Um, And I have a very specific example of this that I'm going to share with you guys. I had a client start freaking out like the night before she was going to launch her website. And this, there were a lot of issues with this client that didn't have anything to do with me. But I will say that I could have handled the conversation that we had on the phone so much better. She started freaking out about something that I had already given her to review, but she hadn't looked at it, but then she finally looked at it and she wanted changes to it. And I started just profusely apologizing. I think I got really emotional and, you know, I don't want to judge myself too much for like crying on the phone with the client because I don't know. I mean, I've cried so much in my business journey and I'm also a crier. So, um, but in that situation, I wish I could go back and tell myself, Hey, it's okay. This is not your fault. Don't apologize for something that's not your fault. And the client is going to feed off of my energy. The client started getting even more chaotic, started getting really aggressive, started getting really personal with me and saying some things that were just really inappropriate for someone in a professional relationship with someone to say to someone else on the phone. And I just listened to it. I just let her talk to me. I let her tear me down. It was just such a horrible exchange that... I never want to put myself in that situation again. And so I will not apologize for things that are not my fault. If a client starts getting like uppity with you or personal or like toxic or in any way via like phone or email or whatever, you don't have to listen to that. You can say, okay, I'm going to hang up now. Let's revisit this when we're both feeling a little bit, you know, in a better headspace and then just leave. Like, um, I know it can be so hard when a client has a really, negative reaction to something, but you can manage their energy oftentimes by staying very calm and matter of fact and professional and trying to take the emotion out of it, acknowledging the problem, telling them that you're going to work on a solution and letting them know when they can see, um, an update. Um, 
most of the time that I've, you know, I've realized this over, over the course of my career, clients are looking to you to see your reaction as the expert and the leader of a team. They're looking to you to see if you start freaking out about a bug or if something comes up on the website, if you say, oh, we need to shut this down and relaunch later. Um, this can take place via email as well. Like, you know, clients will email me bugs post website launch and I'll say, thank you so much for letting me know. Bugs are a very normal part of the website process. We're going to be working on this and you can expect an update by tomorrow end of day. Or I'm going to check with my developer and we're going to sort it out for you. Don't worry. Um, just kind of putting your, you know, if you're not a parent, then, you know, pretending that you're a parent for a moment and being in the driver's seat, being calm and confident, that's going to be really, really helpful um, in managing especially emotional clients' um, reactions. So I hope you guys learned something about project management, took away some tips, felt validated, and learned from some of my mistakes during this episode. Um, this is not something that I see talked about super often in the design business space because I think it's not something that anyone really ever taught any of us. So I'm hopeful that you guys um, walked away with a couple of tips or you know learned something new, something that you're going to implement in your own project management process. So our inbox question for today comes from Maddie Jacobs. Maddie asks, how do you manage the subjectivity aspect of designing a brand with a client and setting boundaries on the amount of work or options you provide while giving them what they need or want? Okay, Maddie, I'm seeing two questions here. You're asking about the subjectivity aspect of designing a brand and then also asking about scope creep or telling them how many options you're going to provide them. So I'll talk about subjectivity first. Subjectivity to me means that, you know, different people like different things. And what I've done to protect my studio from clients looking at something that I love and hating it is that I've put an artistic release clause in my contract. I had my attorney write this for me, but there's a lot of you know clauses that you can probably buy online from different contract shops. Um, shopcreativelaw.com is a great resource for finding good, sound legal contracts for creative work. Um, but that artistic release clause in there says that the client understands in a general way what type of style or look to expect from my work based off of a satisfactory amount of time spent perusing my portfolio. So basically it's telling the client, you have a general understanding of the style in which I work and you can't just end the contract because I gave you something that was in line with the style I provide and you just didn't like it. Um, I've never really had a client be really upset with a style of something that I provided. I have been completely off the mark and the client has been upset about that, but it's never been, oh, I thought you were going to provide me this specific style of illustration that I've never seen before in your portfolio, basically. So I that clause does make me feel good and I do have the client initial that clause, make sure they've read it in the, um, the contract signing. Um, so that's kind of how I manage that. And, and also I'm a design position studio, meaning that I have a specific design style and clients come to me for that style. So it's a little bit less of a challenge for my studio specifically versus someone who doesn't have 
a specific design style that people come to them with. If that's the case, then I do recommend having a conversation with your client before they sign on to your proposal, potentially in the discovery call or maybe via email afterwards about if they have any specific style needs, like they want a very specific illustration style or something like that, in which case you can offer to partner with an illustrator, which I've been doing more recently, which has been really fun um, as a subcontractor to provide the exact style of illustration that they're looking for. In terms of setting boundaries on the amount of work or options you're providing, but still giving the client what they want, I mean, this also starts, you know, with that kind of over-communication in the contract. Um, I do the one concept method where I provide only one fully built out concept to clients. I don't show multiple concepts, but I will show iterations on the one concept method um, after I have presented the initial concept to the client. You guys can go back and listen to, um, I'm going to link it in the description. There's an episode in a previous season called Iterating on the One Concept Method, where we talk more about how I've adjusted my approach to the One Concept Method to still give clients options after seeing the initial concept, um, if you guys are curious about listening to that. Um, but I make the client initial in that contract telling me that they understand that they are only going to be receiving one concept when I provide the brand concept. Um, and when you're asking about giving them what they need or want, if a client really, really, really wants to have three concepts, they'll read that clause in the contract and then email me about it. I've never had this happen to me before, but I have heard other designers and mentees tell me that a client really did not want to do the one concept method and instead wanted three concepts. And that's where you have to decide, are you going to charge more for it? Are you going to maybe give them a more of a window into your process and show them some rejected concepts. Um, you can kind of cross that bridge when you come to it, but, um, that's kind of how I make sure that I'm setting that really hard boundary from the, from the get go on the amount of options that I'm going to be providing. Um, and I also of course have very clearly de defined scopes in my proposals. So Maddie, let me know if that was helpful. If you have any follow-up questions about that, as always, if you guys have any questions about anything in today's episode, feel free to message me on Instagram at Creative. Also ask to be added to my close friends list on Instagram so that you can see behind the scenes stuff, new work, just little chatty um, talking head stories all about um, the adventures day to day of being a brand designer only for designers eyes only. That's a super fun way to, for me to communicate with you guys. I'll follow us on Instagram at better podcast, hop into our free Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash better brand designer to find your community of designers just like you. Thanks so much for listening guys. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. I will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, leave a review, join our free Facebook community, and share the pod with your designer friends so they can join the fun. Give me a shout on Instagram at betterpodcast if you want to submit an inbox question and visit the pod at hellojunecreative.co slash podcast to learn more and snag discounts on my favorite resources. See you next week.